Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the astrology of March of 2022. Joining me today are astrologers Austin Kopic and special guest co-host Christopher Renstrom. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. Thank you for joining me today. All right, so I'm going to give a brief overview of some of the major astrology of March right here at the beginning, and then afterwards we'll do more extended introductions and announcements, and then we'll jump into a deep dive of the astrology of March. How does that sound to you two? Fabulous. I think that'll work. All right, let's do it. So here is the planetary alignments calendar for March of 2022 that shows some of the major astrological alignments. So at the very start of the month, we begin with a kind of positive Pisces new moon, which is conjunct Jupiter on March 2nd. Then a few days later over the weekend, both Venus and Mars simultaneously move into the sign of Aquarius and depart from the sign of Capricorn, where they've been for quite some time, and they form uh, the second conjunction that they've formed over the course of the past few weeks. Then a few days later, Mercury moves into Pisces on the 9th of March. The following week, we get a Virgo new moon on the 18th, then the Sun ingresses into Aries on the 20th, and finally, towards the end of the month, Mercury will move into the sign of Aries as well on the 27th. So those are the major alignments, uh, more or less the sort of general outlines of the month, and we'll get into more of a deep dive of some of the more specific aspects going on over the course of the next hour or two. So hey, how, welcome guys. So welcome, Christopher. This is your first time joining us I know. to co-host a forecast episode, so thanks for joining us today. What, what an honor and a privilege, and thank you so much for having me. It's exciting. Yeah, so you are the book. You're the author. You're not the book. You're the author of a recent book <laughs> no, titled <that's> different. <laughs> the, "The Cosmic Calendar: Using Astrology to Get in Sync with Your Best Life," which I love that title. And this is an amazing book that really focuses on the planets and delineating planetary placements, especially in the birth chart and in different signs of the zodiac. Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. And it ties it into the idea of using your uh, own astrological chart as a personal calendar. Brilliant. All right. And your website is rulingplanets.com. And you, of course, regularly do uh, month ahead forecasts and weekly forecasts on the Astrology Hub YouTube channel, right? Lots of forecasts for Astrology Hub. Always forecasting. <laughs> cool. And Austin, how are you doing this month? Oh, pretty good. Um, it's, been, it's been busy. A lot of, lot of uh, pieces and parts moving around. Seems to be the general quality of things. I was saying to you the other day, boy, things, uh, this year's gotten off to uh, a pretty loud start. Yeah, things are moving very fast in a certain direction. And um, there's been a lot of like tensions with that Venus Mars conjunction that happened this month and that we'll see a continuation of into next month as we'll get into. Yeah, I would so plenty of that, but also um, <clears throat> I think with Jupiter being so strong, I'm seeing a lot of people will um, suddenly full of big plans, full of big excitement and enthusiasm. Um, seeing a lot of things where it's like, is that a Jupiter thing or is that a Jupiter Neptune thing? Right? <laughs> is that going to be a big win or is it going to be the idea of a big win? But you know, kind of all mixed up together with that Venus Mars. It's just. Um, you know, everywhere I look, uh, things are moving. For sure. All right. Um, well, we'll get into that a little bit more detail here in just a minute. I did want to make an announcement. So, um, our editor of seven years, uh, Stephen Kopic, who's actually Austin's brother, and that's how I was introduced to him back in 2015, around the time that we started doing these forecast episodes. Stephen's been editing every episode of the Astrology Podcast and cleaning up the audio 
as well as doing the video once we transitioned into doing video in 2017 or so. And he's actually um, departing because he's moving on to bigger and better things, which is actually kind of exciting. Um, but it means that we're now looking for a new audio and video, video editor for the Astrology Podcast. So I wanted to put out an announcement, first thanking Stephen, because Stephen's been amazing and he's helped us to grow to get to the podcast to where it is today. So we owe him a lot of thanks. And I just wanted to give a round of applause for Stephen for all his work over the past seven years and wish him you know, good luck in the future. Yeah. Um, but so, so that's one point. And the other point is, I need a new editor. So I'm putting out an open call. So if you'd like to, if you, I'm looking for somebody that especially specializes in audio and cleaning up long form audio dialogues between two or more people, and that being the main specialty or focus. And then secondarily, if possible, somebody that can also do some editing on video secondarily. So if you would like to send in a resume and an introductory letter to introduce yourself and tell us why you might be a good applicant for this job, then send me an email to my assistant at theastrologypodcast at gmail.com. And there's so many um, applications that I may not be able to get back to everybody, but um, with any luck, we'll be able to find a new editor and move into whatever the new phase of the podcast is over the next seven years. All right, so that is that announcement. Why don't we jump into looking at the astrology for March then and talking about what's going to be going on over the course of the next few weeks. So here's the planetary movements calendar that shows where the planets will begin at the start of the month and how far through the signs of the zodiac they'll get by the end of the month. And as we can see here, most of the activity this month is really taking place in the signs of Aquarius, where we have Venus, Mars, and Saturn, and to some extent Mercury transiting. And then the other sign where we have a lot of activity is Pisces, where we have the Sun, Jupiter, and Neptune, and a new moon taking place in that sign over the course of the next few weeks. So that gives you kind of an idea, especially if people are thinking about their birth charts of the sector of your chart that's going to be the most activated this month. So in catching up um, and opening up with the astrology of March, um, should we? is there anything we should review from the past month or anything that worked out really well or anything that caught you guys by surprise? Are you asking about an event, or are you asking about what we think is an important planetary development? Uh, just sometimes we check in of things that we sort of predicted or talked about in the last forecast for February and how things ended up working out once we lived through those events. So for me, one of the things that we were really focused on was the Venus-Mars conjunction that was going to occur February 16th. And um, we tied that in, especially towards the end of the last episode, to the situation that was happening between Russia and Ukraine. And we're thinking that if there was going to be a conflict, that it would start around that time. And that ended up working out pretty well. It was actually kind of weird because for, for a few days there, about a week before that, the United States was issuing a statement saying that they thought the invasion was going to take place on the 16th of February, which is actually right when the Venus-Mars conjunction uh, took place. And um, it didn't end up happening right then, but then within a few days of that, it seems like uh, Russia has officially annexed or recognized two breakaway territories of in the Ukraine and have started sending in troops. So whatever's happening with that situation has now officially begun not too far after the Mars-Venus conjunction. Um, how did you feel about that, Austin, or what was your take take on some of that? Yeah, well, so it it was very clearly timed to that Mars-Venus 
co-presence them moving together through Capricorn. Um, as I was saying to you the other day, um, when we were, when we did the yearly, um, you know, I saw a lot of Mars this year and I, I expected a lot of saber rattling and maybe saber drawing. Um, I, 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 but as I was saying to you, I'm a little surprised it's um, this Marsy this quickly. I was sort of, well, and still am waiting to see what the Mars and Aries period, um, which is May, June, <clears throat> what that looks like, because that looked very excited, uh, <laughs> very excited about, about conquering on a very positive personal level. Um, and a less positive international relations level. So I was a little surprised that it got moving in this direction as quickly as it did. Well, that's that's interesting. I mean, um, you had an exalted Mars in Capricorn, so which which okay, exalted Mars in Capricorn happens every two years or whatever. But I think what we also sort of need to note here is that if I'm looking at this correctly, this is the last time that Mars will conjoin Pluto in Capricorn. Ooh, uh, in our lifetimes. Is that true? Um, yeah, because Mars and Pluto never conjoin again. Mars doesn't catch up to Pluto again before Pluto leaves. So this is kind of like the last hurrah of this exalted Mars and Pluto conjunction, which is taking place on March 3rd, along with the Venus conjunction. So this is the last time Mars and Pluto are together in a sign that Mars is exalted in. So, I mean, I, I had my fingers crossed, that um, the Jupiter-Uranus sextile might prevail. <laughs> you know, I was kind of like hoping for that one. But but that conjunction, that last conjunction of Mars and Pluto is pretty, it's, it's very, very strong. That's such a good point. That's one of the aspects coming up. And that happens also very close to Venus is finally going to leave its shadow um, where it's been, the, the point where it originally retro went retrograde at in December. Um, it's going to reach that point right on March 1st, which basically marks the end of the Venus retrograde post-shadow period. Um, so we're still getting out of some of that Venus retrograde stuff. And it was interesting that the um, Russia's announcement just a few days ago happened, I think, almost exactly eight years after the anniversary of the annexation of the Crimea. So it was very much tied in with that eight-year Venus retrograde cycle, and those eight-year anniversaries can sometimes be very potent, especially when you throw other planets into the mix like Mars in that conjunction at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And I also wonder um, whether the Mar uh, the nature is going to be different anyway. The, the Venus-Mars conjunction in Capricorn is not going to be the same thing as the Venus-Mars conjunction in Aquarius, although they share the common denominator of Saturn as the ruler. But I, th I kind of feel like that's going to be a tone change, you know that 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 Capricorn energy is one tone, but then the conjunction in Aquarius is going to be a different tone, um, maybe war fought on a different level um, in, in terms of uh, not just sanctions, but you know what they're really talking about, which is rolling out, you know, freezing assets, banking, um, things that are going to really affect. Um, the world financial markets uh, in a in a very radical way. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to talk. Uh, I wanted to spend some time talking about the um, the condition change for Mars and Venus because that is probably the biggest configuration in uh, March is Mars and Venus's nearly simultaneous ingress 
into Aquarius and then moving together through Aquarius for, for the entirety of the month. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <clears throat> in Capricorn, Capricorn um, exalts, privileges Mars. It's a very strong place um, for Mars. And Venus, you know, Venus has triplicity dignity in Capricorn. Venus does just fine in Capricorn, but it's not a place of huge strength. And when two planets are put into a position where they're, um, you know, where they want different things, right? You got to look at who's, who's capable of getting their way or yeah, which one is going to get their way when they disagree. Obviously on the things that they agree on, you don't need to worry about that. But Capricorn is a great place for Mars, not so great for Venus. Whereas Aquarius, um, when they move into Aquarius, one, they'll be sharing the sign with Saturn, who's the ruler of Aquarius. So they're both going to be under the thumb. And neither Venus nor Mars has has much essential dignity in Aquarius. Right. Venus has uh, the first decan, and there's you know each of them has a bound, um, but nobody's really got a lot of strength. Whereas Saturn's just obviously in control there, and so this you know the, this this conjunction, this mobile conjunction, which has been very Mars led uh, up to this point, um, will change significantly because both uh, you know Saturn's coming to to discipline both Mars and Venus. <laughs> Calm down, kids. Three feet apart. <laughs> Get with the program. They're kind of fighting with each other and going back and forth. First, Mars conjoining Venus on February 16th, and then later Mars or Venus will catch up to and sort of tag Mars on the 6th of March once they move into Aquarius. But then eventually later, they'll both run into Saturn. And then, yeah, that'll kind of put the brakes on things, hopefully. Well, they've got a square to Uranus uh, mid-month. Uh, they're both going to be squaring Uranus, so that's going to be. Uh, I, I think there's going to be a little bit more to, more of a food fight before Saturn, you know, tells the kids to calm down and sit on their hands. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've been watching for God, I don't know, years now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we've long. been watching. Um, we've been watching Mars activate the Uranus-Saturn square. Uh, we watched that all last year. Whenever there was a hard angle, um, we got fireworks. Um, well, actually, in July, we literally got fireworks um, <laughs> <laughs> and a record number of disasters. Um, but this is, you know, Mars um, coming back to Aquarius um, is independent of this very intriguing mobile Venus Mars conjunction. It's also Mars back in a fixed sign, uh, hard angle to Uranus, and then uh, conjunction in this case with Saturn, right? And so whenever we've had, Mars in a fixed sign, you know, pinging that square. It's a little looser now, but it's, you know, it's, it's with it. They're both middle decan of their signs. They're not um, an infinity away. Um, we're, we should be seeing more of the more, excuse me, more of the Saturn Uranus stuff, but with Venus involved, which makes it more complicated. Right. Yeah. One of the things that's a little weird as well is that this Venus Mars conjunction happens at zero degrees of Aquarius which was a sensitive degree when it came to the pandemic over the past couple of years, first with that initial Mars-Saturn conjunction that happened in the early phases of the lockdowns in March and April of 2020. That Mars-Saturn conjunction occurred at zero degrees of Aquarius, or very early in Aquarius. And then later, after about a year in December of 2020, 
we had the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, which occurred at the very beginning of Aquarius, at like zero Aquarius. And that was when the uh, vaccines were first introduced or rolled out to the public, which seemed to start rolling back the pandemic, at least for some people. Um, so here we have some sort of follow-up connection of another set of planets forming an exact and an important conjunction at that degree. And I wonder if that's not also somehow connected to the pandemic and another sort of turning point in terms of the pandemic, since we're also not far away from uh, Mars moving into into Aquarius also marks the first time that Mars has returned back to the same sign of Saturn in two years. So taking us back to the early phases of the pandemic and the lockdowns back in 2020 and ramping up for that exact conjunction that will occur in early April, which will mark the end of one, two, or two and a half year cycle of Mars and Saturn that started at the beginning of the pandemic and the wrapping down or closing down of some themes but then also the start of a new cycle and the beginning of some some new ones related to that. And Chris, what was that degree that you were referencing again? Zero Aquarius. Yeah, what I think uh, I was remembering correctly is that um, Mars and Uranus square each other right when Uranus enters Taurus in 2018. In fact, Mars is at zero Aquarius. Um, I think maybe about it's a day after Uranus enters Taurus. So the first aspect that's made is that um, that you know when Uranus enters Taurus is to square Mars in Aquarius. So perhaps that might be suggesting that you know there, that's a sensitive degree or 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 a sort of landmine, as you will, you know, waiting to be uh, stepped on. It might be particularly uh, uh, volatile. Uh, you know, that's that's what I, I thought of when you mentioned that that degree. So I wanted to jump in on that, Chris, because there, there's a lot there about coming <clears throat> about um, the 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 Saturn Mars cycle resetting, right? And we talked about this a little bit last month, and I think I you know I referred to it as like a, a new moon for for horror or difficult things, right? That it's that's that's the the slow synodic cycle with which involves both uh, both malefics and you know kind of gives us a seed point for the. The challenges, difficulty, the sufferings of a given period of time, and <clears throat> the last one really did kind of set up the last two years. Right, it was uh, end of March, early April of 2020, and you know certainly there were there were rumblings and concerns and things that started to, to happen earlier in March. But by by the time we got that Mars Saturn conjunction, it was like, oh, okay, this is this is going to be a thing, right? This is going to be this isn't going away. And so it's really interesting to think in terms of what does that new cycle look like? Um, and so I, I was thinking about Aquarius because we've got um, four planets in Aquarius for part of the month and at least three for a lot of the month. And uh, randomly, I was explaining Terminator 2 to a Zoomer who'd never seen Terminator 2, because I made a reference to liquid metal and this and that. Sacrilege. <laughs> How could you not have seen Terminator 2? I know. <laughs> They're like, oh, this is really this is really interesting. I was like, yeah, I, I thought everybody saw it. But anyway, um, the point is, um, I was like, oh, Terminator 2 was a Saturn and Aquarius movie. And it's so full of anxiety about possible futures like literally the the plot is things have already gone in a horrible um 
in a horrible techno dystopian direction. And it's literally people from the bad timeline, the dystopia, sending um, sending robots back to the present, uh, which is the 90s, um, to try to correct the timeline. Um, and I was just thinking, I was like, oh, God, you know, the um, this whole time with Saturn and Aquarius, um, the, should we say, um, the omnipresence of possible dystopias has just dominated people's thinking, including mine. It's like, oh God, but if this happens and it goes in that direction, then we'll be living in this kind of world. Um, and there are 30 different kinds of that thinking. Um, but anyway, it the sort of coming back to a sort of, okay, we're here now and nobody knows what they're doing or nobody, what do we do? You know, what do we build out of the wreckage? Do we rebuild things? Do we build them differently? Like coming coming back to the the, okay, now we're in, I don't know, almost a crossroads between dystopias. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the optimistic points about that though, is especially now that Mars is getting towards the end of Capricorn, because that transit had just been whipping up and reactivating parts of people's charts that were activated at the very beginning of the pandemic when Mars first went through Capricorn and joined that stellium between what was this, like February and April of 2020. And so that, and then over the course of the next month or so, as Mars moves through Aquarius and eventually joins up with Saturn, is just reactivating some of those parts of the chart that were first um, sort of churned up a couple of years ago uh, during the first and early second quarter of 2020, during the early phases of the pandemic. But that time when that happened, it was kind of new. And that was like the first time that it happened that you'd had that uh, kind of tough pileup of planets in that sector of the chart. And I think it opened up a lot of difficult things in certain areas of people's lives. But now that some of that energy's come back around, even though it's returning us to some of that and some of those problems might be coming up a bit again in certain parts of people's lives, um, doing it the second time I feel like is a little bit easier and people may be a little bit more prepared where if some of those issues arise again, they might know how to deal with it a little bit better than they did last time. Okay, but I mean, we've had a uh, the section of the chart you're talking about with with planetary pile up is is the Capricorn Saturn, right? Is is that what you're referencing? Is Capri Capricorn and Aquarius? Capricorn Aquarius, yeah. Thank you. Um, well, we had this 30 years ago. We had um, Neptune and uh, Uranus in Capricorn uh, along with Saturn. So, and that's the 1997 fall of the Berlin Wall. I mean, I don't even give it Saturn and Capricorn two years. I mean, Saturn's doing Saturn signs, so you really give it four years, you know, whenever whenever you're dealing with <laughs> this part of, of the chart. I mean, you know, Saturn's going through the two Saturn signs, which happen to be back-to-back -back with each other. So we're literally doing a Saturn return on that period of time. And we happen to have, yeah, it's a very similar uh, congestion or, or collection of planets there. And and you know, on that go around, it was the collapse of the Soviet Union. On that go around, it was Rodney King. Um, on that go around, it was apartheid being de deconstructed. And on that go around, um, you know, it wasn't COVID; it was AIDS. You know, that was making people not touch people, and you know, backing off in a way. So, so there is a rep there is very much a repetition of of themes that that are taking place and. You know, um, speaking speaking as someone who was like living during that time, you know, there was an expectation that on this time, you know, we would be smarter about it, and it was like, wow, 
we're reacting pretty much the same time in the same way that we did back then. Um, if anything, this time a bit ruder, um, you know, but, but yeah, we, we've been down this road before, you know, um, and, and just happened to be like 28, 30 years ago, but, but we've been down this road before. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, so why don't we, something that is optimistic to me is that first new moon of the month. So I'd like to take a look at that, uh, with you guys, because I think it'll might give us, uh, the ability to look at the other column this month. I know when you and I were talking, Christopher, you said that things are very much grouped into two columns this month. There's the Saturn column with everything in Capricorn and Aquarius, but then there's this other very distinct other side of Jupiter in Pisces and the Pisces column, which is a little bit more optimistic in that part of people's lives. Um, so let me pull up the yeah, I think it's pretty stark. It's not just like a little friend layer. It's like full on big good versus full on <laughs> rough and tough, you know? Well, but it depends on the way that you're looking at it because, um, you know, yeah, I mean, you've got Saturn in its own sign and that's a column. You've got Jupiter in its own sign and that's a column. But, you know, Saturn is, even though Saturn's called a malefic, there are some extraordinary things that take place. Uh, under Saturn or, or, or Saturn types of energies, and one of them actually happens to be the reconstruction of of society. I mean, we saw that taking place with the dissolution of the Soviet Union twenty eight years ago. I mean, it didn't turn out great, but that's what was going on. There was an there was an attempt to do that. There was an attempt to avoid that dystopian scenario and and to create a utopian one that was very much in the air. Absolutely. It's, it's less about just Saturn. It's the, uh, it's the both Mars and Saturn because mm -hmm. Mars doesn't bring out the best behavior from Saturn and Saturn doesn't generally bring out the best behavior from Mars. And they both, they're both willing to fight dirty when they disagree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, they're like biker buddies at the bar, right? You know, <laughs> they're the two badasses. <laughs> or, I don't know. It's a little bit more cops and robbers with Saturn and Mars, I think. But, which they're playing the same game, but uh, right. that, that game has very defined sides most yeah. of the time. Yeah, yeah. All right, so here is the calendar again, just to show the date that that new moon falls right at the start of the month on the 2nd of March. So let's look at the actual chart for that. Um, here it is. So the new moon takes place towards the middle of the day or earlier in the morning on March 2nd. It occurs and goes exact at 12 degrees of Pisces. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I like about that is that immediately after that conjunction takes place, both of the luminaries then apply directly to a conjunction with Jupiter, which is just two degrees away at 14 degrees of Pisces. So there's some optimism to that new moon in terms of that conjunction with Jupiter, although we also see a, a very intense energy of Venus. Mars and Pluto all conjoined around the 27th degree of Capricorn, um, which is kind of a, a tense energy, and then also a super hyper-focused Mercury conjunct Saturn at 18 degrees of Aquarius almost simultaneously. So this is one of the standout alignments for me in 2022 because it's this very interesting triple set of conjunctions of three planets conjoined in Pisces, two planets conjoined in Aquarius, and then three planets very closely conjoined in Capricorn, which is kind of a unique thing that stands out and catches your eye as an astrologer when you have three different sets of planets all aligning perfectly in the sky on the same day. 
And that's something I think we always have to remember. It's like things can look very, you know, pessimistic and they can look very, you know, um, dreary, you know, but they don't, that's not our day to day life. You know, uh, it, it, a lot of times the mood or the perspective of the worldview can change. And, and this is something that astrology is always teaching us is that the changing of the guard of the planets, the different aspects that they make, change and adjust our view and our lens and the way that we look at things and, and, and what's going on. So, you know, it's, it's never just, you know, that's the end. You know, life, life doesn't work like that and, and astrology doesn't work like that. And that's a lovely, that's a lovely uh, new moon that's taking place with the aspects that are applying towards uh, Jupiter. I like Jupiter in Jupiter-ruled signs. Um, it makes me think so much of the liturgical calendar. Um, the Jupiter-ruled signs, when you look at the liturgical uh, calendar, are the most holy times of year. Okay, they're they're the times when you are closest to God or when you are anticipating God. Uh, you have uh, Sagittarius in front of Capricorn, so you have Advent. Okay, which is which takes place when the Sun is in in Sagittarius, and then you have when the Sun is in Pisces, you have Lent. You know, Advent of course is anticipating the birth. You know, the birth of of Christ, and um, Lent of course is anticipating. The resurrection or the rebirth. So there's a lot of um, anticipation looking forward energy that's connected to Jupiter, uh, which I think sort of shows up in the Jupiter personalities where, you know, they can sometimes be more into the anticipation, you know, or the waiting for something, you know, uh, rather than the actual arrival or the, or the end result. You know, it's kind of like, it was so much more exciting when we were anticipating this. And then now that it's happened, look, Oh, that's all there is to a circus, you know, type of thing, the Peggy, Peggy Lee song. So, so I think there's something that when Jupiter is in its own sign, um, there, there is a sort of divinity or there is a, a expectation of divinity looking forward to anticipating that, that um, I think is very, very powerful. Um, and, and I think that that kind of plays into uh, the mindset uh, uh, during that period of time. At least, you know, in the liturgical calendar, that's what's celebrated during those times of year. That's really interesting. Um, I hadn't connected anticipation to Jupiter. <clears throat> and so those periods of time uh, in the liturgical calendar are also times of um, preparing oneself and one's life for the divine. It's not, um, if, you're, if you're doing it right, Right. It's not, um, it's not merely being like, oh, it's going to be great. It's coming. It's, you know, going like go doing a, you know, a, a practice in both cases in order to prepare in anticipation. Uh, I think that's a really nice way to, way to think about it. And of course, Jupiter has just religious observance of all types as a signification from the very beginning. Yeah. And I, and I think that, um, and, and Jupiter carries with it. Uh, moral moral values, you know, um, that that used to have a very negative, you know, term, you know, or used to have a very, you know, uh, uh, negative uh, flavor. This this uh, you know, moral justice, who's deciding what's right and what's wrong, and and things like that. But but I think that um, what Jupiter carries, Jupiter, strung in a chart, I feel ha has a very strong sense of a moral universe. You know that that this is not a universe of chaos. This is not 
you know, God is not math, you know, and 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 with the Jupiter sensibility, there's a belief or or resonating with a moral universe that that there's good and bad in the universe, and you actually can play a role where you can bring about good. This is why when we look at Jupiter, we say, oh, we we expect good things. It's not winning the lottery. We we expect um, or we want or we prepare, as you said, Austin. Uh, to be instruments or or people who who change the course, you know, in, in a more moral or a more good direction, you know that that's kind of like the the gist of it. Um, whether it turns out that way or not is you know anyone's guess and look at history, but but that is at least the hope, you know. And I think Jupiter uh, is very much. I, I can never decide whether Jupiter's hope or Neptune's hope. I go back and forth on that. When you were talking earlier, Austin, about sort of um, distinguishing the difference between Jupiter and Neptune, like, oh, that's going to be interesting in Pisces. <laughs> but um, but I think that there's very much an optimistic or a hopeful uh, quality that's that's connected to Jupiter. There's there's a belief in good. You know, and I think that that resonates when Jupiter is in its in its own signs. Yeah, I think hope and optimism are really great keywords, especially for this new moon and for this conjunction, just because this is um, also going to be just two days later the Jupiter Sun Kazemi, where the Sun conjoins Jupiter, which also means that it's moving very fast. It's at its fastest at this point in terms of planetary speed, and it's just cruising through. One of its home signs of Pisces and is not going to stay there for long. But that means that this also represents not just a, a lunation or a new moon between the sun and moon, but also kind of like new um, cycle between the sun and Jupiter in terms of their synodic cycle as well. And um, so to me, this is when Jupiter really starts to get going and starts to emerge and come into its power in its home sign of Pisces. So I know a lot of us were looking forward to the ingress, which took place uh, a while ago now, or several weeks ago now. But I think this new moon taking place in Pisces is going to be the breath of fresh air and breath of hope and optimism for something more positive to come, and that we're moving into a new phase of things after emerging from the, the past two, almost three years now of Jupiter moving through Aquarius and Capricorn. You know, it's been since late 2019 since Jupiter was in. Sagittarius, its other home sign, and so much has changed. And it seems like we've gone through not just the winter of the past few months, but the winter of the past couple of years with the pandemic. Um, and there's something very hopeful and optimistic about seeing a light at, at the end of the tunnel with this new moon that's taking place at the beginning of March. Yeah, absolutely. It's lovely. And I, I wanted to I'll respond to a few of the things uh, about Jupiter. So, as you know, there's the term hope is used, and that's certainly appropriate. Um, as somebody with Jupiter on the degree of the rising, um, what I experience with Jupiter is a belief, uh, a deep belief that uh, things can be improved. Like I almost never feel like there's nothing that can be done. I don't. <clears throat> I don't necessarily think everything can um, sort of all, all problems can be erased. But um, I, I believe I've, I've always believed there's something we can do about this, or there's something I can do about this. Maybe I don't know what that is, but there's there's an answer out there somewhere, um, <clears throat> which is different than hoping that things will just work out for me. It's a little like I, I really like um, I'm, I'm really kind of positively stuck on the the example you gave earlier, uh, Christopher. 
where it, you know, there's the anticipation, but are you doing the preparation? Are you preparing the ground for it? Um, I also think in terms of with Jupiter, there's long-term success, right? Like success that takes 12 years as opposed to like a quick win or an amazing, you know, an amazing weekend or whatever the, you know, more swiftly moving Venus cycle. Um, and just one more thing, Chris, to add to what you were saying about the new moon and then the Jupiter sun conjunction just a few days later uh, on my soul return. Um, <laughs> that's also Jupiter switching from evening rising to morning rising and all the, you know, all of the, the bedrock texts um, consider Jupiter to be um, strongest in, in morning rising rather than evening rising. So just on a technical level, it's Jupiter moving into its most powerful phase in its own sign. Yeah, I love that. Um, so one of our keywords then also with this might be to think about is sort of the, the power of faith and optimism sometimes to carry, not just carry you through the hard times, but also in order to achieve what you want through almost like visualizing or manifesting it. But part of the necessary prerequisite to that, which for some people can be hard to really get down is having some sort of internal sense of belief or faith that you can get there or that you can manifest that positive future in some way or or bring that about but you have to sort of have the faith or the belief in that in order to to pull it off sometimes which almost sounds contradictory but sometimes that's how jupiter jupiterian people work is just by this sheer power of belief in themselves sometimes and then being able to turn that into reality well, I think um, testing of the faith is such an important thing for Jupiter. When you were bringing up how Jupiter was in Sagittarius, um, you know, wh what's fascinating is that Sagittarius is the last of the fire signs before we enter the spring Aries, right? So Sagittarius is almost when you know the sun is setting; it's going into winter, and so it goes from being you know this this open fire to like a candle. It's like a a a votive candle, almost in a way, that, that Sagittarius is going to have to carry this faith through the darkness of winter, you know, before um, the sun returns, you know, with, with, with Aries. Faith, <clears throat> faith and belief, you go back and forth in the different meanings and, and, and nuances between the two, but, but testing of faith is such an elemental part of faith, you know. The flip side of faith, obviously, is doubt, and so you've got Jupiter and Saturn, Jupiter faith, Saturn doubt. But, but doubt and 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 things that test the faith are also the things that get you to become more moral. It gets you to become more con more in, in touch with your conscience, whatever your conscience will be, you know. And sometimes, you know, you might line up with your church or your scripture or your way of believing. And sometimes you might not. You might become the heretic. You might become the mystic. You might become the outsider. And that's kind of the relationship also between uh, uh, Sagittarius and, and, and Pisces. Um, so, so that thing of testing faith, uh, faith in yourself, or what do we keep hearing right now? Faith in de democracy, you know, like, like, like democracy is in danger right now. Faith in you know, the experiment of democracy, faith in the world, faith in the world view. This is something that's being critically uh, tested right now. And each of us is going to be answering that within, within, within ourselves. Yeah. Um, and it also makes me think of a discussion that we had, Austin, in the Astrology and Magic episode about 
something I found really interesting about the idea of magic was that one of the prerequisites that you needed to have in order to actualize your will was a belief that you could do it, and and a sort of casting away of doubt in some ways seemed like a necessary like ingredient. I I don't think that's crucial for it depends on what kind of magic you're doing. Um, I would say that um, it's less important to be certain um, and have faith that it's going to work. It's it is, however, important to not constantly sabotage your process with doubt. Like the absence of doubt doesn't necessarily mean the presence of faith. Um, uh, you can the the Picatrix, for example, often refers to it as an experimental art. Like do this and see what happens. Um, I think that you can come at it, especially that that Picatrixian style. Um, you can definitely come at it with a mercurial quality of curiosity. Well, if I do this and I say these words and I do this thing and I cut into this stone, like I want to see what happens. I was very like when I was first doing experiments, I was I was really curious. I didn't know exactly what would happen. I didn't, you know, um, I wasn't certain. Um, but yeah, but there there are certainly some forms where um, faith or devotion is 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 very important. But there there's also a lot of you know Mercury as like the magician and trickster is is also a thing. I think the more the more how should we say divinely or theurgical um, the the magic, the more Jupiter and faith comes in. You know when you're doing like a devotion. If, you know for me, I'm doing like a you know I was uh, did like a two hour a night devotional practice to Kali uh, last summer, right? Like that was much more Jupiterian and much more. I would. I, again, I don't like the word faith, but it's probably because I grew up in the Bible Belt. Um, right. <laughs> it, it's time to take it back. It's time to take it back. It, re, reown that word. Repossess it. You know, because when we're in the realm of Jupiter, we're in a very different realm than Mercury. There's a reason why these signs are opposite. You know, or or you know, the the planets are opposite each other in in, in rulership. Mercury is curiosity, it's investigation, it's trying to figure things out. When we're in the realm of Jupiter, we're in the realm of wonder. We're in the realm of mystery. Okay. And this isn't mystery like a riddle to be solved. It's the wonder of mystery. You know, it's being transported, uh, it's being awestruck by mystery. It's being transported by mystery. This is the realm of, of Jupiter. You know, I, whether it's like, whoa, that was such a great sunset. I'm so glad we took this hike. Just take in the nature, you know, that, you know, that sort of Sagittarian flavor of, of, of Jupiter, whether it's just like the mystery of magic or the mystery of encounters with an invisible world, you know, things that cannot be easily explained. This belongs to Jupiter. And this also calls for a leap of faith. You know, like like you're not going to be able to explain it easily to someone else. You're not, um, you know, you're going to maybe sound like a rambling idiot or something like that. But but that wondrous experience of something that's mystical or, or something that transports you, whether it's just, you know, witnessing beauty or or witnessing a miracle, this is the this is the realm of Jupiter, experiencing the holy bigness. Mm -hmm. That was something we talked about in the Hermeticism episode this month. Was the Hermeticism was supposed to be based on a revealed wisdom or knowledge about the totality and the truth of the cosmos and how it works in some sense. And it was like revealed from a teacher to a student. And then Hermeticism sets up this chain of passing down that knowledge from teacher to student, unbroken ideally for 
as long as possible, but it's that personal experiential um, touch with seeing something bigger and seeing the totality of things and seeing some truth or some like just ultimately true statement about the nature of the cosmos. You're seeing you- God. You're seeing God. You're seeing the divine. You know something that you know. And if you look at the Kabbalah, um, you know just just the incantations. You know the nonsensical incantations, but to go and to elevate to a point where you can stand in the throne world of 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 the divine. I mean. You know, these are things that are actually, I would ascribe even more to Pisces, you know, because Pisces, you start getting into the invisible world. I mean, I, I imagine you guys probably don't work with Neptune as a co-ruler of Pisces, and that's its own thing, but but I do. Um, and I think that, you know, what's helpful with Neptune as a co-ruler of Pisces is that you get Jupiter, which is beyond the blue horizon, and then you get Neptune, which is beyond that blue horizon. You know, it gets into the realm of the invisible, it gets into the realm of things that cannot be easily explained, but there's no refuting the experience. And this is what all the mystics talk about. You know, no matter how much gibberish they're spouting, or people are like, I want to understand, but I don't get what you're describing. You know, they're they're almost like if you read like Teresa of Avila or Catherine of Siena, they 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 can almost be interchangeable with people who are trying to describe alien abductions. You know, they 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 just sound so ridiculous, or what their their experience is so exotic and so bizarre. But yet there was something about their messaging that really moved the hearts and souls of people. And 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 this is something that belongs to Pisces. You know, the ability to move the waters. In someone else's unconscious or in someone else's soul, you know. But but again, what makes it so Pisces, you know, is that it goes back to the mysterious and and the things that are hard to explain or or catalog. Yeah, and it's hard to. I mean, regards of rulership with this conjunction being within ten degrees of Neptune there at twenty two Pisces, like all of the keywords we're using are very much tied into that conjunction with Neptune this month and. The impending conjunction between Jupiter and Neptune, which is, while it doesn't go exact until early next month, it's very much looming large on the stage at this point in a lot of the discussion that we're having here. Yeah, you can see the Neptune entangling into our discussion about Jupiter. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to really quickly draw out some other keywords from other placements that are tied in with this and see if you guys could throw some keywords out for me. So one of them, Christopher, I know you liked was. The sextile to Uranus at 11 degrees of Taurus, sextiling the new moon at 12 degrees of Pisces. Yeah. What is what element does that sextile give, or what keywords would you would you throw out into the mix? Uh, my my feeling about that is is Uranus is usually associated to revolution and change, you know, the overthrow. Um, but I think that when it works, when it cooperates with Jupiter which is how um, I see that sextile. And so it's coming away from that energy. We, we see the sextile energy there with, with, with uh, Uranus, with, with the sun. Um, my, my feeling is that we switch from revolution to reform, to reformation, you know, to the idea of reforming what's... So instead of overthrowing the structure that's in place, it's we take that structure and we rework it, maybe because... We don't have a choice, or it's a necessary evil, or you know, let's just reform it and not throw the baby out with the bathwater, whatever. But I think Uranus changes its disposition to to the idea of a, of a reforming, you know. Um, so let's see what we can do to rearrange the pieces in this to make it work better. 
you know? And so I actually have, I, I love sextiles, you know? Um, I, I, I think that they, they can, they may not be dramatic like their other aspects, but there's a sort of brokering of the energies that takes place with the sextiles. They're kind of acting as go-betweens. Uh, with the planets, uh, having the conversations that are taking place off stage, you know, and so I see this as maybe a reforming. And so, you know, for people in your regular day to day lives, you know, you may be, you know, you may be facing situations where it's like, you know, I should take a much more dramatic action, or, or I should walk out on this, or I should overthrow, or or whatever. And it might be like, well, I don't know if that's going to work, but I wonder what I can do to change the pieces or the different aspects of the situation to make it uh, better and also more livable. So, so that's, that's why I actually look at this very hopefully looking, looking at the sextile energy. Yeah. It's just a, it's a inferior sextile. So it's a, just a nice little added spice of throwing in some innovation, some trying something new to the otherwise optimistic thing. And I think is a helpful little boost to the already Kind of hopeful conjunction that we have going on there. Um, the other keyword that I was looking for for the is Mercury Saturn conjunct in Aquarius occurring at the same time. Um, what are your some of your keywords, Austin, for Mercury conjunct Saturn in Aquarius, or what does that that bring to mind for you? <clears throat> well, from a let's see, from a Saturn perspective. Um, if Saturn are, you know, Saturn represents the structural challenges and pressures of a time period, um, having Mercury inspect those um, is really useful in terms of diagnosing, you know, instead of having a general anxiety about things, looking, uh, looking with precision at what the situation is and really making it thinkable, right? Like, let's say, Aquarius is your second house and there's money trouble, right? But there's a different there's a huge difference between worrying about money and like sitting down looking at exactly where it's going, where it's coming in, you know, like getting, you know, getting getting that um, you know, uh, getting the the full full report from Mercury as accountant and scribe. And then from Mercury's perspective, um Saturn provides um you know, Saturn Saturn provides discipline structure concentration it can pull the thinking into a sort of a negative or depressive direction but with saturn being you know with both of them you know both of them are relatively happy in aquarius right it's not it's not the a sign that mercury rules but it's it's hardly an unfamiliar place and they are in a mercury ruled decan um i think there's a lot of there's a really good opportunity to think coldly there may be you know because it's occurring at the same time as the sun moon jupiter there may be as we say um you know a buoyancy to the soul um or to you know just expectations and you know sense of the time but mercury saturn here i think really will help us think coldly like think you know think without hope we can feel buoyed but then you know some things need to be addressed with a you know um a less than room temperature uh, thinking. Yeah, a, a soberness of thought and a succinctness in terms of speech are, are the two main keywords I was thinking of. That even though we have the hopefulness and the idealism of the Pisces stellium that's going on, like you said, it sort of in our soul or in terms of the new beginnings and the hopefulness of that, there's still a sober thoughtfulness 
that's taking place that is a little bit more grounded and a little bit more realistic with the Mercury-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius. Um, and then the last energy that I really wanted to see if we could try to encapsulate that is tied in with this new moon is that triple conjunction of Venus, Mars, and Pluto. I also see that Mercury-Saturn conjunction as being called to the principal's office. You know, um, and and so you know, it's like you know, getting called forward to explain yourself, but but I also feel like the principal Saturn has seen this Mercury before, so it's like a scamp, you know, type of thing. So there's a sort of good humored, you know, uh, uh, exchange that's taking place, but it's definitely you want to keep your eye on the technicalities, the details. You know, there's no pulling a fast one with with whenever Mercury is next to Saturn. But I, but I wanted to sort of also increase that sort of like good humored or how are you going to talk your way out of this one Mercury type of type of energy that was going on there. Right, for sure. So and then finally with the Mercury or sorry the Venus Mars Pluto conjunction. This is, of course, taking us back a little bit to some of the energy that we were experiencing a few months ago when Venus stationed retrograde at 26 degrees of Capricorn, I believe back in December, and it was closely conjunct Pluto. And so there was this intensity to some of the relationship dynamics that were being brought up at the time. Since it was a retrograde, it was sometimes bringing up things from the past that were very intense or sometimes kind of difficult to deal with, but in often in many many instances that needed to be dredged up for some reason. And here um, we have Venus just leaving finally its shadow, passing 26 degrees and finally moving into new territory, but again running into Pluto or finding Pluto again during the process. But at this point, Mars has joined up at the same time, which is adding um, sort of an intense, almost like conflict-type energy at the same time, and this tension between Venus and Mars of Union versus division, or you know, war versus peace, is one of the other major um, keywords of Venus and Mars. We've been seeing play out this month. Um, you know, action versus holding back and reaction. Um, what are some of our other keywords for Venus, Mars, and Pluto conjoined at twenty-seven degrees here in Capricorn? Well, there's a Faustian bargain that's involved when you're dealing with Pluto here. You know, there there were agreements that were made in order to move forward. Um, so I think that you know Mars is kind of straightforward. I mean, Mars is Mars has kind of climbed up onto a precipice. You know, it's Mars and Capricorn, right? It's climbed up to a precipice. It's it's really in a position where it has to assert itself very loudly and and and, and very visibly. Okay, so so that's what's getting excited in Mars. Um, I think Venus is is so Mars is like you know am I pushing hard enough for this you know maybe I should push more. So Mars is maybe the loudest voice there in that conjunction. It's being amplified by Pluto and amplified by the fact that it's in its ex sign of exaltation. Well, and it's in it's in its singular degree of exaltation. Oh boy. Okay. Well, there you have it. That twenty uh, eighth degree twenty seven is the um, yeah it's the single degree. And I think. Venus always has an eye on um, what the cost is going to be. You know, uh, you don't make, you don't get rich going to war. Okay, um, that's why that's one of the reasons why Venus and Jupiter are benefics. You have prosperity and good business in times of peace. You don't have it going on in times of war. You know, so I kind of feel like this Venus Pluto conjunction is really. Leading into uh, 
the conjunction with, with, with Mars and Aquarius, is really kind of a look at the contract. It's a look at the pledge. Venus is about betrothals. It's about pledges. It's about the agreements that you make. And so here, I think Venus is almost taking account of what the cost of that is going to be. So, uh, you know, if Venus is holding back, it's only because she's being more strategic than Mars at this point and probably trying to figure out how do you help someone climb down from on top of the bar after they've like yelled at everyone, you know, at the top of their lungs? And how do you help them climb down from on top of the bar and save face? You know, so, so I, I would kind of take it in that kind of, of a direction. Yeah, Venus might be trying to hold Mars back at this point, but probably isn't going to be super successful just because Pluto and being on that exaltation degree is empowering Mars and the tendency for conflict or for, you know, war in the worst case scenario or strife or separation um, being um, empowered. I often think of, I see, I always remember like this one chart of somebody that had a Mars Pluto conjunction in the 12th house and they would just, um, Explodes sometimes in like anger, fury over their perceived enemies, uh, which is a twelfth house topic. And um, I always just think of Mars or, or Pluto as empowering and taking small things and making them bigger. Like Alan White always used to say. And if Mars's primary principle is anger or strife or division, then in some ways that's what's being kind of pumped up and made m- much larger and much bigger than it would be otherwise at this point. And Venus probably isn't super successful, at least at this stage, at the very beginning of March, in holding that back. But we'll see what happens once they change signs and move into Aquarius and Venus catches up to and finally conjoins Mars and both of them get free of Pluto. Venus can be a very strategic planet. Okay. Venus, you know, the holding back can also mean letting the person have their screaming match and then you know, talking to them afterwards, you know, so you can have the moment where, you know, the person's yelling at the bar, but then there's going to be a hangover. There's going to be like what happens after that, you know, type of thing. And I say, and I think that Venus, who has always got its eye on uh, the bonds, the contracts, the treaties, okay, um, that's that's something that I think is 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 very activated. And you could even make a case with the conjunction to Pluto that she's kind of maybe playing more of the long game here than than Mars is. So I would add to this, I think, I guess, uh, you know, uh, the, both of what you both said is really interesting. There's a lot there. But what I would add is that this is really an incredibly powerful point for Mars. Um, and that Mars in, you know, it's exalted in Capricorn in large part because Mars acts so strategically in Capricorn, right? It's... Um, you know, Mars. Um, Mars is passionate and can be distracted, right? But in Capricorn, there's a Saturnian focus on on results, which can sometimes look deeply cruel, but at the same time is being deeply effective. And so we have this Mars Pluto in Mars's single strongest degree in the zodiac. This looks like big power moves, likely beneath the surface. Yeah, in fact, it could actually be argued, Austin, perhaps both planets are strategic in Capricorn in their in, in their in their own particular ways. <laughs> you know. And Venus may not want war, but um Venus may very well want the the gains from some power moves and hard bargaining. Well it, I, I find it interesting that with the next unfolding, 
you know, of what, what's taking place is talk of freezing the bank accounts, freezing the villas, freezing the access to your um, London addresses and homes and residences if you're part of, um, you know, the circle. Um, and, and that's a very Venusian thing, you know, which is like these legs are now crossed. You know, you, you, you no longer have access to, okay? And so that freezing out, you know, could be a very Venus and Capricorn type of thing. Or, you know, I might not be able to join the brawl at the bar, but I can, I can take care of the purse strings or I can so, turn off. Let me jump in. I, I, I agree with the freezing. I think that's when they both move into the sign where Saturn is. I think that's where the, the big, the big, a lot of things freeze. And then people not, may not be happy with the sort of shape that gets frozen because right now things are pretty much in motion you know very in motion more uh capricorn is a is a cardinal sign it initiates new things it gets things moving but we're just a little you know week and a half away from um going into a fix things where it's sort of like you ever play freeze tag right where everybody's running around and it's freeze right or the Rose of Sharon moment in Squid Game, where yeah, <laughs> it turns around and you better be frozen. Yeah, with with Mars Saturn, right? Maybe it's maybe it's that that scene from Squid right. Game. <laughs> uh, green light, red light, right? So I'd like to move on, but I want to mention really quickly. This is actually um, for the electional chart this month. This is actually the highlighted electional date that we wanted to um, use as our favorite electional chart for the month. Is this new moon in Pisces conjunct Jupiter? Mm -hmm. So the electional chart this month takes place on March 2nd, 2022, and you want to set your chart for about 10.45 a.m. with uh, about middle degrees of Gemini rising, and you want to put Mercury right on the degree of the midheaven. So this is a chart with Gemini rising, and the ruler of the Ascendant is in the ninth house, um, having reception with its domicile lord of Saturn. So some of the soberness of thought and speech becomes part of the focal point of this electional chart. Focused on the ninth house as well as tenth house matters with the midheaven conjunct Mercury. So this would be good for um, education, for publishing, for other types of ninth house topics, um, especially involving study and learning and wisdom, but also things like communication, things of that nature. Um, so there will be some restraint and some soberness and a little bit of holding back or seriousness with that conjunction of Saturn. But in the long term, it could be positive in terms of saying things deliberately and carefully and in a way that is most effective. Um, so it also has that super optimistic 10th house conjunction of the sun and moon applying towards Jupiter in Pisces and the 10th whole sign house, which is good for business and career matters. Um, the area that it's not so good for is 8th house matters involving shared resources because of Mars in the 8th house in a day chart. So this is our featured auspicious election for the month. And we actually found a bunch of electional charts this month because there's so many great Jupiter and Pisces elections during the course of March. So for the other electional charts, you can check out the Auspicious Elections podcast, which is a monthly electional astrology podcast that Lisa Scheim and I produce each month and that we just released the other day, where we featured, I think, at least four or five other electional charts during the course of March. So for more information about that, just go to patreon.com slash astrologypodcast, and you'll find the Auspicious Selections podcast as part of one of our tiers. So um, yeah, a lot of good Jupiter and Pisces elections, and you really want to take advantage of them this month because Jupiter is just cruising through Pisces over the course of this month, and it's already going to be in Aries by early May. So if you wanted to get the best out of especially some of the day chart elections, 
with Jupiter and Pisces, then it might be time to 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 get a hold of them while the getting is good. I think. Um, yeah, have you seen some of that as well? You doing some Jupiter and Pisces work, Austin? Yeah, I was literally going to say get while the getting's good, right? Yeah, for sure. It's just it's just not around for that much longer. And when it, and when it comes back for a month or so, what is it? Month, month and a half at the end of the year, and it's like, oh, we get more Jupiter and Pisces. But it's square Mars the whole time, and so it, it's it's not the same electional candy that we <laughs> that we currently have. <laughs> yeah, so um, that's really important, and that's the electional chart for the month. Um, since we are about an hour into our episode, I did want to also mention our sponsor this month, which is the Zodiac Buzzed um, astrology themed drinking card game. Which is actually launching <laughs> on Kickstarter here at the very beginning of March, very close to that electional chart that I just mentioned, where all the astrologers are trying to launch important and major projects. So um, I really love this project. And it's actually really funny and it's cool seeing <laughs> new ideas like this coming into the community with the influx of astrologers over the course of the past few years. So, Zodiac Buzzed is an interactive drinking card game that groups <laughs> players into teams according to the element of their zodiacal sign. And each element has a deck full of personalized statements, action cards, and dares based on the characteristics of the signs. So, it's perfect for enthusiasts and professional astrologers to let loose and embrace their inner chaos and kind of to just let, let go and sort of learn more about each other and share some things in a sort of comfortable environment with friends or people you get along with or other things like that and to incorporate and learn some astrology and learn about the different signs so there's a there's a water deck a fire deck an air deck and an earth deck and um, it's actually produced by uh, a couple of astrologers so this is something i wish we had at some of our early conferences austin that i think we would we would have had fun with <laughs> Yeah, I think we uh we had to improvise. <laughs> yeah, we had we did the non-card version of this, I think, which just involved the the drinking and the talking. Yeah. You know, Chris, you've um uh you've featured uh in your advertisements many uh fine projects, but uh I think I can deeply and sincerely get behind this one in a way I perhaps never have been able to before. Yeah, as a as a as a Pisces, none of them have spoke to you more on like a soul level than this this exactly this sponsorship. the you know the the ocean within channel your inner Bacchus. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the Zodiac Buzz drinking card game was created by Zach Thomas and Deja Lewis during the course of the pandemic. So it's a really interesting thing in terms of astrologers, you know, sitting around working on things during the course of the pandemic and starting to see things emerge over the course of now that we're getting towards the end of it. And um, they're going to launch a Kickstarter campaign on March 3rd, 2020. So initial backers will have the opportunity to reserve one of 500 exclusive Zodiac Buzz special edition packaging and four exclusive shot glasses that are set to celebrate the company's first game launch and for those that want to found and sort of back this as a new project. So you can find out more information or you can sign up for the Kickstarter at drunkendex.com. <laughs> and um, yeah, it seems like a really awesome project. So I'm hoping people will support it and check it out and I'll put a link to uh, I'll put a link to their website in the description page for this episode either below this video on YouTube or at theastrologypodcast.com for this episode. So we are 
about an hour into this episode, and we've only talked about approximately the first two or three days of March. So why don't we move on? I mean, we've we've moved around a little bit. I think you're being unfair to us, Chris. These are all month-long themes for the most part, or most of them are. Yeah, Austin. Right. I'm with Austin. Okay. Well, let's jump into looking at the rest of the month. So as I said, just a couple of days after that new moon, we have the Sun-Jupiter conjunction, which takes place on March 4th. So that's very similar energy in terms of some of the things we're discussing previously. Then on March 6th, we have Venus and Mars finally changing signs. Venus finally getting out of Capricorn, where it's just been like sitting in that sign for what seems like forever since, since what November. early? Yeah, since November. So Venus finally emerging and moving into Aquarius, and that's a major shift of energy, not just for Venus, but also from for Mars on March 6th. We get the second of those two conjunctions at that time. Um, so that's big. We've already talked about that a little bit in terms of the shift into Aquarius and people really wanting to pay attention then to the Aquarius sector of their charts, really getting much more activated than this month and whatever house that falls in, especially whatever whole sign house from my perspective, becoming much more active as Venus and Mars ingress into that sign. Um, what is our next thing after that? After that, we have Mercury ingressing into Pisces on March 10th, so a little bit of a shift and again emphasizing more of the Pisces energy in the second two-thirds of the month, uh, not too long after the Sun-Jupiter conjunction. Um, Mercury in Pisces, while it may be less focused on detail, being detail-oriented and getting the specifics right, I think it's better at um, conveying something with emotion and something with sort of a poetry, and that being sort of what's important. And there can be a real elegance to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and big picture. You know, this is a particularly effective edition of Mercury in Pisces, because you know, in Pisces, Mercury is trying to articulate Jupiter things and trying to think through Jupiter things, and Jupiter's right there, right? So, you know, Mercury doesn't have to phone a friend, right? Like the, um, you know, the ruler of the sign is right there. I think we'll, we'll get, you know, best case scenario uh, out of uh, as far as Mercury and Pisces stuff goes. Yeah, and we'll eventually get a conjunction of those two of Mercury and Jupiter on March 20th, and then Mercury and Neptune just a few days later on March 23rd. So backing up though. Um, One thing I wanted to just discuss a little bit is uh, Venus's journey over the last couple months, and I'll be brief. You know, um, so Venus did the retrograde, right, um, into the underworld and back again. And then um, usually there's sort of a breath of fresh air in Venus land in the gardens um, once we're done with a retrograde. But this time Mars was was right there, you know, and Venus is slow. Um, Mars catches up to Venus and says, we're going to travel together for a while. Um, <clears throat> and we're still in that and we're still in that. Until early, um, in, in, until the first week of March, you get the conjunction, and then Venus is like, okay, I'm finally going to pull away and get to do my own thing, um, and I'm headed towards Pisces. Jupiter's there. We're gonna have we're gonna have a great time, but before that, like Saturn stands in a, in the way, and so you know Mars, um, Mar Venus and Mars make that conjunction, and Venus finally starts to pull ahead. But Venus is in this um, rough place for a lot of the month where ahead is Saturn and behind is Mars, mm -hmm. right? Like getting getting a little bit more distance from 
you know, from the rock, but uh, ahead the hard place looms. And especially um, towards the uh, towards the end of the month, which Chris is showing on the screen now, um, you know, we, we have Venus really sandwiched between Saturn and Mars, which again is a, it's very difficult for anything Venusian, right? Um, you know, in, insofar as Venus is uh, diplomats, negotiators, peacemakers, right? It's, it's a, it's very difficult to, to negotiate between Saturn and Mars, right? They're, they're uh, archetypally quite uh, ill-tempered. And so Venus will eventually break free and then, you know, get to do um, one of the best runs through Pisces ever. But uh, we're really, the, the, the skies are really making Venus earn it. Yeah. And even just Venus and relationships and relational dynamics, whether romantic or whether you know, platonic in terms of friendships or even business relationships, there is this sense of of constraint. And while Venus may be coming out of the the turbulence, turbulenceness and rockiness of those conjunctions with Mars and sort of escaping from some of the divisiveness of that, um, there's still this restraint and this sort of coldness that we're experiencing most of March as Venus is building up to that conjunction with Saturn that eventually goes exact on the 28th. Mm -hmm. um, so it's still kind of like difficult for relationship dynamics much of the month until we get after that part and get after March 28th once Venus clears both of the malefics of Mars and Saturn and clears that enclosure or besiegement and then eventually moves into its sign of exaltation of Pisces early next month and begins heading towards that really optimistic and really positive conjunction with Jupiter. So what you're saying is basically she's leaving the Jane Austen novel and she gets to get naked in Pisces. I mean, yeah, there may be some clothes shedding in Pisces, uh, but <laughs> we're not quite there yet. It might be time to keep the winter coat on during the course of most of March. You're, you're still having your tete-a-tete -tete with Mr. Darcy. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be some, yeah, no shoes, no pants, no service while <laughs> Venus is with Saturn. Yeah, and, and one of the things I know, Christopher, that you really pointed out, and I'm glad that you did, is that before Venus even gets to Saturn, both Venus and Mars have to first square Uranus. And I think that's one of our our flashpoint sort of dynamic aspects that's occurring this month when some major fireworks will probably take place is first on, it looks like March 19th, when Venus first squares Uranus at 12 degrees of Taurus to 12 degrees of Aquarius. Mm -hmm. So we first have the energy of a, of a Venus-Uranus square. And then just a, a few days later, it looks like March 22nd, um, we get the Mars-Uranus square. So why don't we talk first about Venus-Uranus square on March 19th within the context of that being like the interim between two otherwise difficult aspects of the conjunction with Mars earlier in the month and then the conjunction with Saturn. So Venus is already between a rock and a hard place, but then it squares Uranus right here in the middle of the month. Who she owns, right? Uranus is in Taurus. That's Venus's sign. That's Venus's card that she gets to take out of the opponent's hand. Okay, so she owns that Uranus. Uranus is very volatile. Okay, and and you know if you go back with Uranus lore and literature and everything, you know it's always volatility, volatility. But the thing is, Uranus is also reversals, surprise reversals, and we often can think of reversals as being negative things like it's not playing out the way that i expected but we haven't but and and sometimes it doesn't play out the way you expect and sometimes that's a miserable result but it can also not play out the way that you expected 
And uh, that can actually be an advantage. You know, it might put you in a better position than you were before. And um, you know, I I also work archetypally, I guess, is, is a way of saying it. But but in my understanding, okay, uh, Venus and Uranus get each other. She's she erupts from his orgasm after he's castrated. Okay, she she erupts and she appears out of that. You know, I mean, like. A love goddess is born of an orgasm, okay, and she's born of Uranus. So there is a connection between those two, if you're looking, you know, mythologically or or archetypally. But I think that this might be a break and then a rebreak. You know, it 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 might be a break, but it might be a reversal that could. Uh, I, I I'm looking for it to definitely throw in a plot twist or or an element that wasn't expected. Okay. Um, something that I was thinking, Austin, as you were talking about uh, Venus's journey towards Capricorn, um, I think it's Paul Krugman in the New York Times was saying, you know, that what Putin was offering uh, Ukraine was um, a marriage proposal. You know, marry me or I'll kill you. Was 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 how, how Krugman uh, put it. You know, and so that was very much that kind of energy that you were describing. And so this might be a reversal or a break. Uh, that introduces an unknown element that changes the rules of the game. I mean, Uranus, in the way that I've worked with him, often changes the rules of the game. You th you think it's being played one way, and then all of a sudden it switches to something altogether different. And so um, that that's going to be interesting. I think the square to Venus is going to be very different from the square to Mars because Venus owns that that Uranus Uranus is playing in a in a house that she owns, and uh, or in a sign that 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 she owns, whereas Mars isn't. Yeah, so let's give some keywords for Venus Uranus. I mean, that's one of the things is it's a, it can be a very exciting combination between Venus and Uranus, um, unexpected developments in relationships, and sometimes that can be very exciting in terms of the new dynamics um, that it introduces and. The excitement of a new relationship can sometimes sort of sweep people away um, unexpectedly and going in directions that you might not have planned otherwise, or changing your day-to-day -day routine in a way that seems new and appealing and sort of or it's on again, off again, or it's on again, off again, on again, off again. You don't, you know, if you're talking about a relationship, you don't really know how it's playing out with the other person, you know, and and so that can also introduce a lot of excitement in 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 terms of that. Anguish, but excitement as well. And so this is coming off of the the passion and the intensity of the the Venus Mars conjunction earlier and the Venus Pluto Mars conjunction a little bit before that. So we have those those other elements of of passion intensity, but then change and unexpected disruptions and newness and innovation and relational dynamics here with the square uh, before eventually this sort of soberness sets in when when Venus catches up to Saturn later in the month on the twenty eighth. What are some of your Venus square Uranus sort of keywords, Austin? Whether you're thinking about it as a transit or or natally. Um. So okay, a couple of things. One, um, what Uranus brings to Venus that's not there necessarily. Otherwise, is um, a need for independence, for relationship to not compromise personal sovereignty. Right, that that Venus Uranus pairing is like, oh, I want to hang out, but you know, I'm not going to marry you, or I'm not going to commit to a structure. Right, um, the, there's a, a real need, especially in natives, to like maintain sovereignty while still relating to people. 
Um, some of what you were saying, you know, as a transit, um, it's, it brings novel pleasures. Um, you know, a great way to work with it is don't do what you normally do for pleasure, right? Like normally I like to go to this restaurant on this day, you know, we, we have like go-tos, um, trying, you know, um, how should we say, um, experiencing or discovering a novel joy, like a new kind of fun, um, doing, you know, going somewhere else different, doing something that you don't do. Um, you know, if you're in a relationship, not just going to the same old thing, um, it can also, um, it can also highlight things that need to change in a relationship. It's like, you know, Uranus is just like the need for change. It's like, well, you know, we've been taught, we've talked about this from time to time, but like it, uh, Uranus can also make things, um, bring things to a head where it's like, no, this really needs to change. Right, or you need to change, or I need to change, or we need to change. But it, you know, Uranus brings that change in, which does certainly challenge the Venusian priority of harmony. Um, so uh, those are a couple things. Yeah, I like that. Those are all really good keywords. Yeah, I think also um, makeup to breakup, or breakup to makeup would be very much a Venus Uranus square. What do you mean by that? You know, we we break up and then we make up again, or we're making up, but I can't stand you, and so we're going to break up again. You know, th there can be this back and forth. Um, I'm not sure where this relationship is going. Type of type of thing because Uranus in Taurus has been making. You know, if you're talking about a relationship being infected, whatever Uranus in Taurus has already been an erratic or hard to figure out where this relationship thing is going anyway, and so Venus is probably trying to figure out. Uh, how to turn it into a relationship or how to turn it into something more consistent because of the fixity in Aquarius. But Uranus is shaking up, you know, whatever consistency you would have in Taurus, you know. So, so again, I would imagine a, a lot of uh, we're on again, off again. I wouldn't be surprised if people are going back to relationships they swore they would never go back to, um, or if it can be the return of someone from the past. I know that that was brought up with. Venus retrograde, but Uranus is a wheel. Okay, revolution is not just the overthrow of a government, but revolution is also the completion of a planet's orbit around the sun. So what's gone around once could be coming around again uh, with with this type of a, a of a square, and that might be upsetting. Uh, you know, one of the people uh, involved in that relationship, like you know, I, I can't believe you're back again, and. But I love someone else, and how can I be with you? And now I have my chance to be with you. You know, so so those sorts of dilemmas and upsets uh, could could very well be be uh, brought up uh, during this period of time, and also uh, also sudden changes in a partner's financial status. Obviously, you know, um, maybe the partner's suddenly really successful, and then you're questioning whether you're on equal standing, or or the partner goes through a financial downward spiral, and then you know you might have to take on more. So so there's going to be some scrimmaging that's that's going on with this. Yeah, and I, I like what you said about a quickness, because Uranus brings a quickness and quickens the pace of things, especially in rela relational dynamics, and things can change suddenly and unexpectedly, but just speed up and go much quicker than you're used to in terms of the sequence and pace of things. And sometimes things get out of order. Um, in that, that usually take longer, can sometimes be condensed down into very short time frames, and that's kind of important here because then the contrast at the end of the month is suddenly things slow down when Venus catches up with Saturn, and there 
so there's this this contrast between the middle of the month here with Venus hitting Uranus and this quickness of this the, the pace of things versus things slowing down later in the month and starting to think things through and have questions about you know is this the right decision or um, am I moving too fast and other things like that. Um, but before we get there, we have this other aspect that quickens the pace of things, which is Mars just a few days later also meets up with Uranus and squares it on March 22nd. So it's very much tied in with the same sort of sequence of speeding things up and actions that are taken sometimes impulsively, sometimes erratically, but uh, perhaps due to like passion or due to a drive to accomplish or achieve something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are, Venus and Mars get this this shot from Uranus, this you know this little lightning infusion, and you know it shakes things up, but on their way to Saturn, right? right? And you know they they all have to do that that interview, that like sober moment um, about whatever the deal is after you know after getting excited or scared or whatever combination thereof from with Uranus, but then it's you know it's time to like sit down. Um, you know, and read the fine print with Saturn and be like, oh, that isn't possible. Right. Or, you know what, we can do this. Um, but you know, from that, that careful strategic, um, just the facts, um, Saturnian perspective. Hmm. Yeah. Needing to read the fine print in the contract and, um, make the sort of agreement at that point. So um, this is one of our aspects that's kind of tied in a little bit with an aspect that's one of our most notable ones later this year, I think in July or August, when there's this interesting triple conjunction of Mars, Uranus, and the North Node that takes place in Taurus. And I know that's one of the ones that we focused on a lot later this year, but this is interestingly kind of tied in with that because this is the square of Mars to Uranus that kind of precedes that in some way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, are there any other Mars Uranus keywords that might be good just to give delineations to give people an idea of that archetype? I think everyone's kind of tired of Mars cranky pants, you know, type of thing. And so, um, what what I kind of could see being here is a surprise upset. You know, like we we've seen this in the Olympics recently, where it's like so and so was supposed to win that gold, but you know what? The performance wasn't so great, or you had a meltdown, or you didn't come through. And so I could sort of see um, an upset in such a way in which Mars had something targeted that's upset. Okay. And then when Austin was talking about that cooling off period, it may be sort of like, well, you didn't get everything you wanted to, but, you know, because this score is higher over here. And so we're just going to have to like settle down with that and, and accept that, you know, and I could see Mars being very like, you know, whatever uh, uh, about that. So, because there's such a, a, a distinct change of disposition from Capricorn to Aquarius, and this Uranian element um, is is really throwing in that surprise twist, and and I could see that playing out with with Mars. That uh, you know, Mars's expectations might be reversed, or th- I don't want to use thwarted because that's more of a Saturn thing, but you know, they they might be reversed or upset. In, in 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 some sort of way and then there's that kind of final verdict being issued by Saturn you know well this is the end result this is the end score this is what not everyone's going to like it but this is what everyone's going to have to live with when they pass under the beams of Saturn yeah i like uh, i like that phrasing of upset it makes me think of um upsets in combat sports 
right? Where you have, like, for example, no one ever expected Buster Douglas to beat Mike Tyson, right? Mike Tyson was the scariest and most effective <laughs> fighter in the world for years. Um, and somebody most people never heard of, like, beat him. Um, and so you have those, and it's always shocking. And people lose a lot of money, right? Because in one-on-one -on -one sports, you've got, you've got big betting markets, right? It's like, oh, that was 10 to 1 odds. And so some people make a huge amount of money, right? Whereas most people are like, I'll just bet on the champ. He doesn't lose ever. Um, so like that, that sort of overturning expectations, upset victory. Um, on the negative level, Mars Uranus will, um, it, it, it's a, it can be a freak out energy because Mars is already, you know, a little, little bit of a tinderbox and then you hit it with Uranian lightning and just goes up all at once. Um, and that's unfortunately also structurally true with buildings and things in the world, but it's also true of structures in, you know, within the hearts and people are like, I just can't take it anymore. You know, just freaking out. Um, another thing that a, a more positive thing that Mars uh, Uranus uh, Mars Uranus is associated with is um, sometimes you see just like um, sort of next level overwhelming power, um, like you know a, a super weapon. Um, this is maybe not the most positive example, but um, you know we had the um, the nuclear weapons being dropped for the first time with a Mars Uranus conjunction. There was like you know, that it was sort of, oh, okay, we, there's no, there's no longer a contest. One side is just like over, you know, has an entirely different level, um, of power. Sometimes you see that completely overwhelming power. Yeah. So unexpected sort of explosions can sometimes be either metaphorically or sometimes very literally a Mars Uranus combination. Yeah. Well, and just, the you know, to use that example, unfortunately, that's um, sort of game changing. It's like, oh, I thought we were playing this game and, and suddenly there's there's a new move and it totally it changes the game. Right. I, I, I very often think of Uranus as um, like flipping the game board. Right. You know, everybody's playing Monopoly and then Uranus just like, I don't know, um, uh, throws the table over and it's like everything goes everywhere. It's like, oh, I guess we're not playing Monopoly anymore. <laughs> it's not like lawyering around rules, right? Except for the Capricorns who have memorized everyone's Monopoly positions on the board <laughs> and are collecting all the pieces and putting them back where they were before. <laughs> and important to mention, and I haven't been showing the um, illustrations that Zartana made us this month for the weekly astrology. So I just want to show that really quick. But um, these aspects that we're talking about right now take place very close to our second lunation of the month, which is a full moon in Virgo that occurs on March 18th. So I just want to mention that lunation really quickly because it has some interesting configurations that are all going exact as we're hitting the moon being at her fullest and brightest during this part of the month around the 18th when things are already reaching a sort of climax. We, are, we also have some of these aspects going exact at that time. Um, Venus squaring Uranus exact the next day, and then Mars squaring Uranus just a few days after that. So this is, in some ways, kind of like the highlight or the climax of the month in terms of tenseness and in terms of some of those tense energies. Yeah, I also wonder about, I mean, isn't it trining the lunar eclipse from last November? Um, I'm not sure. Maybe in Taurus, yeah. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. a, it's a, that was at like 26, I think. 26, 26 or 27, right? Wasn't it? Yeah. So um, that that might be interesting for people whose charts were affected or impacted 
um, by that lunar eclipse that could this could almost work as a denouement or, or something like that, something in which uh, um, they don't see the result, but they see the thing that follows the result of of what might have happened during that period of time. Yeah. One of the things that makes me a little nervous about the Mars-Uranus square and some of the ex explosive energy we were just talking about that occurs on the 22nd is that immediately after that, the very next day, Mercury conjoins Neptune. So it's like something sort of explosive happens, but then all of a sudden there's almost like confusion or, or a sort of deceptive or illusory element that peaks at the same time in terms of um, you know, talking about and discussing what just happened and there may be a lack of clarity or an attempt to have some sort of deception surrounding it. So ha maintaining clarity of communication will be one of the, the challenges, but something also that will be kind of important at this time around the 23rd. Yeah, I, I'd like to say about the Virgo full moon, just in general, you know, these happen once a year. Um, and I think the themes are especially highlighted this year because of the sun's presence with Jupiter and Neptune and Pisces. So Pisces time is like, you know, it's big dreams, big vision, like seeing things sort of slowly coagulating, you know, the shape of like maybe something amazing or inspiring, um, coagulating out of all of the possibilities, like the dreams coming together. Um, and then the moon always, you know, the moon, the full moon's always oppose whatever the sun is doing. Um, and the juxtaposition here is with the moon being full in Virgo is, and so what about all the details, right? So you can, you know, you can have a sense of a big thing. You might have an amazing idea, but it's like with Virgo, it's very much, how is this going to get done? Right? Like what is the, what is the time frame when you break the, you know, when you break the project down into pieces, what does that look like? What kind of, uh, funds are required? Like, how are we going to actually do this? Um, and you know, it, it's such a good question to ask, uh, <laughs> when you're, uh, in the midst of your Jupiter Neptune reverie, um, because the thing is there are sometimes people be like, oh, I had this big dream. It didn't work out. So I guess that was a bad idea. What I see a lot of times is I see people who have the, a good idea. It's just that they didn't have the implementation, right? Um, the, the, the implementation makes it a good, <laughs> will, you know, will make it look like a good idea in retrospect. Um, and so that the, the 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 full moon in Virgo is just asking for that piece. It's a little bit more than that, Austin, because the sun and the moon are in conversation with Pluto. Um, the moon is trining Pluto, and the sun is sextiling it. So it's it's not just like a washed out bridge between that point. There's access to resources, and and there are to do steps because you've got a planet that's intervening, that's getting these two opposites to actually. Be in conversation or collaboration with one another. Well, and you have Mercury and Jupiter conjoined during this. You have the rulers of of Pisces and uh, in Virgo um, in conjunction at the Moon. So they're or not at the Moon during the full Moon. And so there there's some there's some yeah like as you as you put it, Christopher, it's not a washed out bridge. Like you can you can you know what is the 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 rainbow bridge between the human realms and the realm oh, of the gods the rainbow yeah, bridge of the, Asgard <laughs> there, there's the rainbow bridge right which connects mm -hmm. the realms mm -hmm. yeah yeah then eventually we're, we're starting to get towards the end of the month here when Venus eventually catches up with Saturn on the 28th Mercury also the day before moved into Aries and this was actually preceded by the ingress of the Sun on the 20th into Aries so we have our 
um, vernal equinox, or we have the beginning of the spring season in the northern hemisphere when the sun moves into Aries. Um, any special thoughts about that as we move out of the sort of winter season in the northern hemisphere and move into basically the beginning of the spring season with the sun in its exaltation? Could you bring that chart up, Chris? Yeah. You have a sun in exaltation, which is ruled by Mars, which squares Uranus two days later. So, um, you know, as, as you both know, there's a very long tradition of using this moment of the sun's ingress into Aries mm -hmm. um, to do f uh, f uh, forecasting about, you know, mundane events, about what happens in the world mm -hmm. um, for the next year. Mm -hmm. And so, to a certain degree, this um, this chart is extra important because a lot of the configurations which are occurring at this moment get locked in um, and have you know and and you know they're they get locked in. They're they're sort of seeds that are sprinkled all over the world, um, and so it's really interesting, um, especially this year. Um, you know, cause we have a, a very tight Mercury Jupiter, yay, but we have poor Venus sandwiched between Saturn and Mars. And so the, the dynamics that we're seeing here that we've been talking about for most of the podcast also get coded into the yearly chart. And so I think that's just worth, worth noting. Yeah. I don't see Venus as, I mean, yeah, she's sandwiched between, but I... I I don't see it as being all that. Uh, she's sandwiched between yes, but I don't see it as being completely dreary. I I I think that um, yeah, but I can't explain that intelligently yet. <laughs> sure. Well, it's certainly the Venus Uranus square is still very close at that point. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. the desire in Venus to break free of some of the restrictions that she may be experiencing might be. You know, very intense as well, or or making use making use of the accidents. Mm. You know, this this is something we don't always. I mean, we, this is this is something we don't always think about is useful accidents. You know that 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 you know someone had brought brought up before. You know the idea of the plot twist. You know, and she's playing such a strong role in that plot twist. So so I I think there's this. There's a trump card. There's a surprise card that may be played right right then at that point. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So that is our ingress. And what's interesting at this point is, and the thing that I kept thinking when I was preparing for this episode and thinking about the month of March is that March is kind of it. Kind of ends on. Um, like a nail biter, it kind of ends on a cliffhanger or a, a to be continued at the end of the month. Like you're watching a, a television show. Like I've been watching like Euphoria recently. I don't know if either of you watch it, uh, but it's really good. But it's one of those ones where each week it just like leaves you on this cliffhanger and like wondering what's going to happen in the next episode because you can see it building up and you can see all the different threads that are weaving in order to culminate in something important. But in order to keep you watching, sometimes they just and like right at the moment where you think the thing is going to happen, but then it doesn't. And I feel like this month has a little bit of that quality because the two most important aspects that are building up during the course of March don't actually come to completion by the end of the month, but instead they wait until early April to do that. 
And Mm -hmm. one of the aspects that's building up and getting super close by the end of the month is the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction, which will go exact um, around April 9th. Mm -hmm. So we're left on kind of a cliffhanger towards the end of the month because two of the most important aspects that are building up most of March and that we're getting this sense of and are becoming more and more intense, which is on the one hand, the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction in Pisces, and then on the other hand, the Mars-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius, both of those don't go exact until early April, so they don't reach the height or the peak of their intensity until early next month. And in that way, I feel like even though we see the threads and the directions that some of these events and some of these energies are taking, um, by the end of March, we're kind of left on a to-be-continued note where we don't reach the final culmination of both of those until next month. Strongly agree with that. That's astrology. Right. That's something you're used to doing horoscopes, like weekly and monthly horoscopes, as you're always sort of daily. Some some <laughs> of that. Yeah. Oh yeah, always. It, it's it's a uh, it's why I love telenovelas so much. Because <laughs> they, they bring it to the cliffhanger and 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's something that's hard actually also for people to understand about retrogrades, especially when you're heading into a retrograde is so often retrogrades are difficult to understand because they don't represent a singular event, but instead they represent a sequence of events that will unfold over the course of a retrograde. And sometimes once you get to the end of it, like for example, we're getting to the end of this Venus retrograde period once it leaves its shadow in March, you can look back and see that whole sequence of events and how it emerged or unfolded over the course of that time, that period of time in your life. But right at the beginning, it's sometimes hard to identify like what is the singular event because it's not a singular event; it's a it's a sequence of them. Right, and and again, it's it's hindsight is twenty twenty, you know, and Saturn is the planet of time, and it's looking back over your shoulder to see how all of that played out because we live. The way that we live is that <clears throat> we're always anticipating the next event, like what you were talking about watching your Euphoria show. You know, we're we're living for that next, you know, type of thing. We don't always remember, um, you know, what had taken place before. And retrogrades can be like time release capsules. You know, the the the, the events are released gradually over a period of time, and so they don't really carry that wow impact. But when you go back and look over it, they carry a oh my you know, impact. You're just like, whoa, you know, with 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 having seen the way that they play out. Yeah, you can you can look you can see the results of the cycle. And, you know, it's often not terribly difficult to guess what the output will be ahead of time, but the pathway to get to that is often much harder to predict. Like, well, Venus is going to spend four months in this house like that, you know, we can guess what it was like. I, I guess very accurately what my Venus retrograde would be about. Um, but I was still, um, I was surprised. I was still, I didn't know exactly when, like how the, I would be led to have that experience that would have that output. Like, you know, cause again, like as a whole from a distance, um, not, not that hard to get the shape of it, but once you're in it, it's different. Right. And, and the, the actual, it's like the, uh, the actual structure of the various tunnels in the rooms you'll be in and what happens, uh, is I think much more mysterious. Yeah. So could we briefly, um, as we're wrapping up, as we're getting towards wrapping up here, just give a few keywords for, we've talked about this in the year ahead forecast, but I just want to give a few keywords for one, the Mars Saturn conjunction 
in Aquarius that's building up most of March and culminates in early April. And then the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction that weirdly is happening almost simultaneously, goes exact almost simultaneously in early April, but is really building up during the course of much of March. What sort of um, sort of distinction does that lead to? Because it's so different. It's like we have on the one hand a very um, tense physical sort of aspect with Mars-Saturn conjunction. And the last time we had one of these was back in around April of 2020 when most of the world was in the early phases of the pandemic and especially the lockdowns. And the experience of that for many people was you know, being stuck inside suddenly and wanting to go outside or wanting to interact with other people, wanting to go back to work or or what have you, but being this having this sort of physical restraint of being stuck inside and not having the freedom of movement that most of us were used to. So in some ways here we have like a return of a similar archetypal energy of movement being restricted in some ways, uh, seemingly. But then at the same time, we also have Jupiter-Neptune conjunction taking place, which is almost like the opposite energy of having this boundlessness and this lack of restrictions and the sense of optimism or things freeing up. So one of the questions we talked about in the last forecast was um, most of the the last two Mars-Saturn alignments have coincided with new variants, which either started to emerge at that time of the Mars-Saturn alignment or um, started to become known shortly after that time and whether this Mars-Saturn conjunction would coincide with something similar and whether it's it's the start of something new. Um, but also, more optimistically, we're hoping that it's also the closing down of that two, almost two-and-a-half-year Mars-Saturn cycle that we've all been experiencing during the course of the pandemic over the past two years and maybe some aspects of that coming to an end. Mm-hmm. What's your feelings about Mars-Saturn? How are you feeling about Mars-Saturn at this point, Austin? Okay. Well, let me let me go back to just the feeling tone of it, because um, you asked some very big questions. Um, so Mars-Saturn is frustrating, right? You want to do something, but there's something in the way, especially in a case where Saturn has more strength, right? If Mars has more strength, then you know, can Saturn is a speed bump. But in this case, Saturn is absolutely in control, and so Mars will want to do things and go fast um, and you know enact things that uh, are going to be denied, right? Uh, in the period around the conjunction, like it'll be frustrating from a Mars point of view. <clears throat> um, and so there's that. You know, it's it's um, you know one of the analogies you've used a lot is. Saturn is the brakes and Mars is the gas, right? Um, which puts you in a not going anywhere, but spending a lot of energy not going anywhere, which is frustration, right? Right. Um, so there's that. Mars, Saturn also, when when you can get them working together, is um, slow moving, but completely relentless, right? Um, between Mars and Saturn, you have the capacity to handle, you know, both the the quick moving aggressive challenges of Mars and the like and and the the slower moving but equally difficult challenges of Saturn. And when, you know, both of those are combined as a mode of action or as a virtue, you have just total relentlessness. Like um to go back to the Terminator, right? Just like still coming. Like I thought we blew him up. I thought we shot him. Like just still coming. 
And, you know, if you can, uh, you know, if you have some Mars Saturn stuff in your chart, there's, there's a mode of clicking into just being relentless, um, which I think is one of the more positive outcomes. Not, not in hunting down Sarah Connor and her, uh, and her unborn son, um, but in pursuing your goals and not letting anything stop you. I like the idea that the Mars Saturn conjunction in Aquarius is like the T one thousand, the the Terminator that's sent from the future. I'll keep that imagery uh, this month. Thank you for that. Yeah, I was watching clips the other day, and it's um, the the way that they portray the relentlessness is really emotionally effective. It's like, oh God, still coming, still coming. So be that, right? <laughs> <laughs> but not at people, at goals. I have a different take on that. Um, I think that Aquarius at the end of the day is an air sign, and air signs at the end of the day are law and order. Uh, they rule over relationships. They rule over the way that you're going to get along with another person. Um, relationships can be amorous or relationships can be enforced. Um, I think that when you have Saturn and Mars coming together, it strikes me as a very, um, absolutist because uh, of the fixity. It can be very heavy-handed, um, and I think it's going to be coming down on the side of law and order. Um, it's going to be coming down on the side of this is the, you know, no more nice guy. This is the way that things are going to be done. Uh, and and I think um, Saturn is actually going to be directing Mars in that, in that regard. Mar Mars, Mars wants to be a good soldier. And Saturn and Aquarius could be a good general. And I think that, um, so that emphasis on heavy handed, this is the way it's going to be done, um, no ifs, ands, or buts. And we've seen the evolution of that, you know, in responses to whether it's the January 6th commission or whether it's the response to what went on in Canada um, with the truckers. Um, you know, there's this kind of, split that's taking place between, you know, government of the people and government, you know, type of thing. And I and I think that on this hand, Saturn's going to be very heavy-handed and very directed about it, and Mars is going to be servicing that. Um, what I think is interesting, you know, because these conjunctions don't take place out of, out of nowhere, um, on the other hand, you have this very mystical Jupiter-Neptune conjunction taking place. And we talk about mysticism and magic and, and things like that, but what you can also have with a very strong Neptune is paranoia, um, conspiracy theories, secrets, you know, all these sorts of things. And Aquarius has always been traditionally associated to science, you know, a very rational, very scientific view of things. And it's also associated to the Enlightenment, which is, you know, government of the people by the people, and these are these are the principles. Um, with Pisces, um, it, it's kind of like mis mysticism and science have not always been on the best behavior with with one another. You know, they're not always on really good speaking terms, and so um, and and often that kind of Piscean energy can be described as irrational or crazy. And so I think what's starting to maybe emerge here is that. Um, as as there's more of an emphasis on perhaps the Saturn Mars you know law and justice and this is rational and this is the way it's going to be done, there's going to be more of a resistance on the Piscean part of you can't tell me what to believe, 
I have these experiences that are not going to be um, denied or pigeonholed or condescended to, you know, because there is a there can be a rebellious streak to Pisces um, as well. Um, mystics are not incorporated in religious institutions; they're actually two separate species. So I think that you know we could see a, 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 a fission rather than fusion between the spiritual and the scientific. You know, it's an argument that's already going on. And I think it's going to become more pronounced um, during this period of time. And it might, it might not be so much a conflict as it might be an insistence on pick your side. You know, which side are you on? Are you on the side of law and order and this is the way things are going to be done? Or are you on the side of this is my personal experience and this is my connection to what's going on here and I have the right to do this and you can't take that away from me. So, so I could see a sort of pick your sides thing uh, that's, that's emerging with this kind of juxtaposition of these conjunctions, if, if we can put that into, into a sentence in, in, that, in that sort of way. So that's, that's how I would see that, um, really upping the frequency of that. Nice. Hmm. And I think what I'll say is just one thing I'd like to reiterate is that this is the second and the last Mars-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius. And the first one, again, was back in early 2020, in the first and second quarter of 2020. So for many people, it's going to be just reviving and bringing up some issues that you've already dealt with in the Aquarius sector of your chart, especially whatever whole sign house that falls. But hopefully this time around, as those issues come up and some of those tensions or frustrations come up, you'll be better prepared to deal with them if you just remember what happened last time and think about the most sort of graceful or productive way to address some of those issues uh, during the course of the second version of that transit. And secondarily, to look to the Pisces sector of your chart for an area of sort of growth and optimism and new beginnings uh, with the Jupiter transit through Pisces that culminates with the Jupiter-Neptune conjunction early next month. Um, but to think of some of the keywords of, of sort of like faith and wanting to import a sort of either mystical or creative, um, but some sort of need to believe in something like higher or bigger than yourself as being something that can sometimes be useful. And while somewhat distracting, it can be a positive distraction that's sort of necessary in order to pull, pull you forward into the future and in order to help create or manifest something that is more ideal and in terms of in keeping with what the best or most positive best case scenario is that you'd like to see happen in your life. And now would be the time to try to bring some of that about while Jupiter is transiting through that sector of your chart during this brief span of time before it departs and moves into Aries. Yeah, I, I would agree. There's um, the you know whatever whatever the Pisces area is, and Cancer is also in whatever part of the chart is. Cancer is also getting a lot from that because Cancer is getting all these trines from the Pisces stuff um, and is off aspect to any of the Aquarius stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, as I was going through the month, I was just looking at the moon in each sign. It was like, oh, that couple days is all about the the Pisces stuff. Oh, that that couple days is all, all, all about the Aquarius stuff. This next couple days is both at once, 
right? Like a, um, a uh, excuse me, Scorpio, for example, gets a square from all the Aquarius stuff at the same time as a trine from all of the Pisces stuff. There really are, uh, you were speaking earlier about like the Pisces column and the Aquarius column. <laughs> they're like, there really are these two very distinct influences. Um, and each sign is either getting one or the other uh, or both. Um, and there's a, just a huge difference between the, um, I like the, I like how you described Mars Saturn is very heavy handed Christopher. I think, yeah, heavy handed authoritarian is how it will look, um, in the news, but it's also, you know, it's a very, in, uh, as a transit, it's a very down to brass tax, no illusions. You need to do what, what you need to do, what needs to be done. And it might not be fun, but it's just got to happen. Whereas the Pisces side, as you were saying, Chris, is it's, you know, it's imaginative. It's opening up to huge possibilities, right? It's, um, you know, connecting, deepening, opening, imagining, um, you know, in a, in a sense, the, the what to do with um, is very much the opposite in each case where it's like, close it, like, narrow your focus to what needs to be done with Saturn Mars and then, you know, hugely dilate the, the lens open way up in the Pisces area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that Pisces is very, very creative, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, if you're involved in, in any sort of uh, creative arts or media or anything like that, I mean, this is like, this is an extraordinary time when that division between the conscious and the unconscious mind is actually lowered and the waters of of inspiration are really sort of seeping over them into into what could be a very conscious uh activization of it so so this isn't a time for like oh i'm going to visualize and say a mantra this is the time to like get up and do the resources are available if you remember that full moon in virgo with the trines and the sextiles you know that that the bridge isn't washed out. And so take advantage of that huge wave of, of creativity that's going to be uh, moving through your horoscopes and, and actually produce a result because you've got, you've got those aspects that are going on with, with uh, Pluto and Capricorn and Earth signs always want a result. Yeah. And I would just add to that. And if we're, we're characterizing the nature of this Jupiter, Pisces, Neptune influence, you know, it, it's, um, I think of it in that Pisces as a water sign, um, there, you know, it's sort of a divine rain, like the, you know, like what you put down, um, has the posit or is going to have the advantage of getting fertilized by, um, or fertilized, fecundated, um, uh, nurtured by a, a very particular and heady brew of Jupiter Neptune, right? It's like psychedelic super rain. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, all right, I think that's going to leave us. That's that really brings us to the end of the month and leaves us on that cliffhanger of all of the energies we just described building up, but eventually culminating in early April. So we'll have to save. The rest of that discussion for our next forecast, which is going to be one of the more dynamic months of the year once we get to April. But I don't want to give away, you know, what happens in the next episode. So we'll have to leave it there. <laughs> um, thanks, both of you, for joining me today. This is a lot of fun. Thanks, Christopher, for joining us. Thanks for inviting um, me. I really enjoyed it and, and appreciate it. Thank oh, it was you. a pleasure to have you here. This was fun. Was so much fun yeah. to see you again. <laughs> yeah. So, where can people find out more information about your work and what do you have coming up? You can go to uh, my website, which is rulingplanets.com, and uh, 
there, uh, as Chris uh, uh, mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, I have a book out uh, that's been out for a little bit called Cosmic Calendar, and I have a Cosmic Calendar workshop. Thank you. I, I don't know where mine is. But anyway, um, I have a Cosmic Calendar workshop that's being produced by Astrology Hub. Uh, that's, oh, good. I can see. It, it's, yeah, it's three weeks online and it's March 3rd, I think it starts. Anyway, you can, you can go to my website and click on that. And, and, and it's basically how to turn your astrology chart into a personal calendar, not a personal agenda, you know, but a personal calendar. Each of us has a chart that sets our own rhythm and timing in life that works with the transits rather than just being assaulted by the transits. And this is something that you're going to learn over the course of the, of the three week workshop. Brilliant. So your website is rulingplanets.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rulingplanets.com. Cool. And I'll put a link to that in the description below this video on YouTube or on the Astrology Podcast website so people can find it. Um, Austin, what do you have coming up? The lovely Venus in Libra series that I elected and Kate uh, created is finally out, I believe, as of uh, 24 hours ago. So that's available at Sphere and Sundry. And then next up is going to be a Deneb El Getty project, um, which was catching Jupiter right on that star last year. That's probably probably not by the end of March, but coming up next. And then for me, I finally got my new year one classes launched on the 17th. Um, I limited the, the number of people that could enroll so it didn't get chaotic. Um, so that filled up pretty quickly, but I'm going to open it up again, uh, either end of March, early April. So if people wanted to study with me and, and missed out on that, um, it's not closed for a year. I'm going to open back up again. And, um, if you want to make sure to get on that, uh, join the mailing list. I, uh, I sent, <clears throat> I, I just did a, a private sort of release to the mailing list and my Patreon um, before going public, and then it sold out before I needed to go public. So if you want to make sure to catch it, uh, just just sign up for the mailing list. Brilliant. And your website is austincopic.com? Indeed. Cool. All right. As for myself, I'm just going to be focusing on the podcast, uh, focusing on finding a new editor and getting into some great episodes. I'm planning on starting a new series on the podcast where we do a deep dive into each sign of the zodiac, starting with the sign of Aries, which I'm talking to Rick Levine about doing the first episode on soon. <laughs> right. So Aries, my yeah, my Aries stellium. I, I tried to think of an astrologer that had good Aries placements, and I could not. You know, it just he's got like four or five planets in Aries. So what can what can you do? A podcast with Rick Levine is what you can do on Aries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's what I'll be doing. Um, if you enjoy the podcast and you get a lot of the episodes and you'd like to help support it help support me to you know, hire a new editor and everything else, then please consider becoming a patron through our page on patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. And there's different membership levels where you can get access to bonus content like early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the forecast episodes like this one, the Auspicious Elections podcast, or even an exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast. Or on our top tier, you can get a producer credit where your name gets listed at the end of each episode of the Astrology Podcast. So you can find that at patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. And I think that's it for this episode. So thanks a lot, guys, for joining me. This is really fun today. Thank yeah, you. This is great. All right. And thanks to our audience for joining us. We got love you in the chat. 
Um, everybody, please be sure to leave a comment and let us know what you think of the forecast and some of the alignments that we're talking about this month and how you've seen them manifest in your life, especially leaving a comment on YouTube or liking this video. But otherwise, I think that's it for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. So thanks a lot for watching or listening, and we'll see you again next time. Bye. Bye. Special thanks to all the patrons that supported the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, thanks to the patrons on our producers tier, including Nate Craddock, Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Sumo Kopic, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Morgan McKinsey, and Kristen Otero. If you like the work that I'm doing here on the podcast and you would like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. And in exchange, you'll get access to bonus content such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the month ahead forecast each month, access to a private monthly auspicious elections report that we put out each month, access to exclusive episodes that are only available for patrons, or you can also get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, go to patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. The main software we use here on the podcast to look at astrological charts is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available at alabe.com, and you can use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we use a similar set of software by the same programming team called AstroGold for Mac OS, which is available from astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount on that as well. If you would like to learn more about the approach to astrology that I outline on the podcast, then you should check out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune where I traced the origins of Western astrology and reconstructed the original system that was developed about 2,000 years ago. And in this book, I outline uh, basic concepts, but also take you into intermediate and advanced techniques for reading a birth chart, including some timing techniques. So you can find out more about the book at hellenisticastrology.com book. The book pairs very well with my online course on ancient astrology called the Hellenistic Astrology Course, which has over 100 hours of video lectures where I go into detail about teaching you how to read a birth chart and showing hundreds of example charts in order to really demonstrate how the techniques work in practice. So find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. Also, special thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is available at mountainastrologer.com, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, and the Astrogold Astrology app, which is available for both iPhone and Android at astrogold.io. There are also two major astrology conferences happening this year. The first is the Northwest Astrological Conference, happening May 26th through the 30th, 2022, near Seattle, Washington. Find out more information at norwac.net. And the second is the International Society for Astrological Research Conference, which is taking place August 25th through the 29th, 2022, in Westminster, Colorado. And you can find out more information about that at isar2022.org.